we are in a new series called Culture Wars. And for the next three weeks, we're going to hit some very heavy topics. Now, I'm going to say this at the front end, just so you're aware of this. Um, we're going to talk about things like sexuality and transgenderism and abortion and et cetera. And if you think your kids aren't ready to hear these difficult conversations yet, we just want you to be aware in advance. We want you to be able to make that choice for your family. Um, I, I can tell you that I'm not going to be obscene or graphic in any way, um, but these are just some sensitive topics, and we want you to be aware of those realities. We have an amazing kids' church service going on right now, too. And uh, so if you would like to take advantage of that, we want you to be aware of that. Um, I had the idea for this series back in December, um, months ago. And uh, after everything that's, that's going on in our world, this is, these are the things that I was thinking about. And how do I address these difficult issues? And, um, and in March, I saw that River Valley Church is doing a one-week message called Culture Clash. I was like, oh, great. Now they're going to think I just stole their idea because that's what pastors think about. I know that nobody else thinks about that. We're just weird. Um, but, <laughs> but just in case um, you were wondering, I did listen to it, and uh, it was excellent. And so if, if you want to go online um, and look at that and see what Pastor Rob Ketterling has to say, he's a leader for us as pastors in this state, someone that I greatly respect, and so I'm stealing a few of his thoughts as well. Um, so there's your, your footnote for a citation. All right. Um, you know, just after I saw that, uh, Andrew Madsen actually sent me a, a video on Instagram of our lieutenant governor on the issue of transgenderism and health care and a bill that has um, been going through our local government as well. And he, he wrote this uh, along with the video, we're in the middle of the hottest culture war in our country. And so that was enough affirmation for me to know that this is something that we absolutely need to talk about. So I'm going to give you a roadmap for this series because we're going to take it in three parts. Um, and based on your personality and your own opinions, there are probably going to be parts of this series that you like more than others. At some point, you're probably um, going to hear some things that you love to hear, and you're probably going to hear some things that you might disagree with. And, and please understand, um, the most important thing in this is that you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, right? Sometimes we come with this idea that, that being right and being correct is the end goal. But in all seriousness, that's not what the Bible calls the church to. Bible calls the church to work together and to be unified. And so there are differences of opinions at times, but we need to learn how to work through those differences of opinions. As your pastor, I know this is hard for some of you to believe, but I'm not infallible, okay? Um, but the Word of God is. So let's look at the Word of God and see what it has to say and what it teaches us. And uh, I promise you this, I will preach with integrity as we go through these things. I'm, I'm doing my best not to bring my own agenda to the Word of God. And I'm also not looking to dunk on anyone, all right? Um, so uh, I'm not preaching to, for you to tell me how much you love it. Um, I just think this is really important, okay? And so as we walk down this path together, let's do so respectfully and let's do so honestly as we look at what God's Word teaches us. So three parts to this series. Part one, what we're going to talk about today is biblical conviction. And that we're going to talk about why it's important to know right from wrong and why it's important to have conviction in our beliefs. And, and maybe you're listening online 
and uh, you aren't necessarily part of a church culture, and these values and these ideas that we'll be talking about might be foreign to you. Or maybe you're here today visiting, and this isn't part of your normal routine, and this is a little bit different than what you're used to hearing or, or, or what you maybe have thought about in the past. And I want to talk about why the Bible and why a biblical viewpoint is so critical, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to address... Um, specifically the topic of transgenderism, because that's such a, a hot topic in our culture right now, even in our local government. And we're going to do so in a thoughtful and hopefully an honorable way. Then part two is humble submission. It's everybody's favorite word. We love to talk about being in submission and humbling ourselves, right? Uh, but and even though that maybe pushes against our nature, it's something that the Bible talks a lot about. And so learning how to submit to authority, learning how to submit to each other within the church, learning how to um, love each other and encourage each other in this process as well. How to know when to fight and when to let things go. And so how do we even coexist as a church with maybe even some differences of opinion or differences in our worldview as well. And then part three is I have a condition. And I'm not talking about like a medical condition. I'm talking about there are conditions to how we behave, how we respond to certain things. How do we engage our culture as a Christian? And how do we reach a church community? Uh, or how do we as a church reach a community that is often at odds with us? That is often very different than what we believe. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about, this idea has been presented by a lot of different teachers and scholars, and um, there are three ways that you can respond to culture. You can receive it, you can reject it, or you can redeem it. And certain things need to be received, certain things need to be rejected, and certain things can be redeemed as well. And so... Um, just a heads up, I'm not going to tell you exactly what parts of culture you should embrace or reject. I just want to give you a framework for how to think through those things yourself, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, and how to evaluate those things. And I'll give you some examples of how I evaluate those things. You can do with that what you want. So, biblical conviction, humble submission, and I have a condition. And yes, I do know they rhyme. Okay. All right. We're going to look at the book of Daniel throughout this series and three particularly three stories, and this morning we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. And Daniel is a biblical character who managed to be faithful to the Lord in a really tough situation. There's not a lot of negative things to say about Daniel. As you read through scripture, like most biblical characters have massive flaws. Like even David, who's a man after God's own heart, he was a disaster with his personal life. He had so many things that he messed up on. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, started out killing Christians, right? And so aside from Jesus, who was perfect, like Daniel is an incredible example of a guy, at least that it, his flaws aren't necessarily recorded in scripture as much. And we're going to read through his uh, a little bit of his life story and learn a little bit about him and some of his friends and how God used him in a, in a kingdom where he was at odds with the culture that he lived in. That sound familiar to anybody, right? There's probably some application there. And so we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 17. 
And then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge. How many of you are thinking, he's talking about me right here? <laughs> right? Uh, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. Then at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Now, um, you're going to hear this in a, in a moment, um, but they also have... Those were their Hebrew names, and they also have names that they were given um, that were, were Babylonian names as well, or Persian names. And, uh, and, so, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. All right, I don't know why this is, but Daniel is always referred to as Daniel. And then the other three guys, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, they're all referred to uh, with their Persian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you probably heard those before, if nothing else, from Veggie Tales, right? And uh, <laughs> verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And then he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So we're talking about um, the Hebrew diet had restrictions. There were certain foods that they were not allowed to eat and um, following that prescription that God gave the, the Hebrew people through the law of Moses, Daniel wanted to be obedient to that. And so he says, And the chiefs and the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you your food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So this guy's like, Listen, I'm supposed to feed you guys this food, and, and if you guys like turn up sickly and unhealthy, it's me on the line. It's my life on the line. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh. <laughs> I love that. Than all the youths who were eating the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them all vegetables. And for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding 
in all visions and dreams. This is an incredible story. It doesn't make sense in the natural, right? Um, they're, they're like, they, they've got these skinny young men, and they're feeding them this, this rich food that's supposed to help them get bigger and more filled out. Daniel says, no, we'll take water and vegetables. And somehow in that, uh, he gains weight in that process. He gets stronger. Um, this is God protecting Daniel and his friends. Uh, so the four things that I want us to take um, from this uh, story that we can apply to our lives and our culture today. Um, the first one is to resolve to do what is right and what is good. Uh, verse 8 says this, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Now it's interesting that all four of these he young Hebrew men did this, but it was Daniel whose decision um, ultimately set it in motion. It didn't say that they all said, we want to eat this. Daniel spoke with conviction. He might have even had pushback from his friends. We don't know for sure, uh, but that's a reality. Sometimes when you're making a decision to take a stance for what you believe, you have to stand alone. And there are going to be times in your life when you're going to have to make a difficult decision and you're going to have to have resolution in your heart to say, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to follow his word, and I'm going to do what I know is right, even though nobody else agrees with me. That's hard. That's hard. Um, now, I want to talk for a second about the intersection of faith and politics, okay? Um, this is a really difficult thing. And so Daniel was brought into this court, and he was brought into... Um, uh, essentially this political environment into the king's palace, into this position of leadership and authority, and he was at odds with the culture that he was living in. Um, can I tell you something? Politics really messes with the purity of the gospel, no matter what side you're on. Now, I don't generally talk about who I vote for, except in private conversations, because I, I don't think that it's a, my role as a pastor to tell you who you should vote for. I don't think that would be right. Um, but I do believe that there are some things that are scriptural issues, not political issues, but they also overlap with the political sphere as well. And they're not matters of opinion. There are some things that, that drive me crazy as a pastor, and one of those things is when people place more value on their preferred political party or on their party's platform than they do on the word of God. There is no Christian party in the United States. I, I hate to break it to you. There is no perfect party, but there are certain issues that align with the word of God and that are in direct opposition to the word of God on these parties' platforms. Now, I'll just be transparent with you. I generally am more on the conservative side of things with my particular values I don't think you have to be a Republican to be a Christian, um, but there's one particular issue. Um, I have some friends who are liberals and Christians, and um, their particular party's position on abortion is opposed to Scripture. It is. It's wrong. It's sinful. Uh, I have a friend from college, and uh, a couple of years ago, we were having this conversation, and um, he was trying to defend his party's position on the, on the issue of abortion. And I, we were going back and forth, and I'm like, listen, why do you have to have your identity so wrapped up in your political party 
that you can't just say, no, we're wrong on this one. Like, I, I'm still going to vote for them because I agree with things that they, that they um, hold true on the other things. You don't have to defend every single issue for your party to vote for them, right? Ultimately, sometimes it's a choice between the lesser of two evils. And, and that's where we're at. And so, like, let's be honest with where we're at as Christians. Let's look at the Word of God and say, the, the act of abortion is a sinful, disgusting, despicable act. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have mercy for those who have gone through that process of having abortion. He doesn't have forgiveness for that particular issue. Of course he does. Of course there's love and forgiveness. And that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility as the church to have compassion for people who are in a difficult situation, that, that we should put our money where our mouth is and support crisis pregnancy centers, that, that we should stand alongside those, that we should be advocates for adoption. And you know what? The church is doing that. We're leading the way in those areas, and that is good, and that is valuable, and that is so important. So it, there is a balance of, of having compassion in this, but we ultimately have to recognize that the act of abortion is a sinful act. And we need to be clear on that. And so, listen, if you're going to say, this is my party and this is where I stand, at least have the courage to say, but we are getting it wrong on this one, right? And there are other things that maybe on both sides, of, we're not going to go down the different party platforms and examine every single issue. Um, but there's one, one more thing that bothers me as a Christian, and, and um, this one particularly came to light in 2016, where um, we had uh, President Trump was running for president at the time, and there were some things that came out about his uh, character and things that he had done and said in the past that as a Christian were frankly quite offensive. And what I saw that really bothered me is we had um, Christian, godly people not just saying, well, I'm going to vote for him even though, uh, because the, the two options, I think it's, it's the better choice because of his policy, but they were actually defending some of that behavior. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, what in the world? Why is our political platform so important that it directs how we live our lives rather than the word of God as our compass? And, and one of the things that I would hope for as, as a church right now is that we would be able to disentangle ourselves from the different political parties and realize that we are not even part of this world. We're part of the kingdom of heaven. And if we can take a step back and say, listen, we're here on this earth and we absolutely have a responsibility to play a part in the political system of our country and we as Christians absolutely should be involved in that process. But our identity is in Christ. So let's take that and separate it out a little bit and say, we're over here and everybody else is over there. And so we're going to be involved in this because we want to have influence for the betterment of our world. But that's not who we are. That doesn't define us. I'm defined by who God says I am. And my decisions on what I believe and the convictions that I hold to are governed by his word. And both sides are at fault in this. And so Daniel and his friends managed to serve an ungodly king in an ungodly country in a culture that promoted idol worship and all sorts of sinful behavior and they managed to do so without compromising their beliefs. 
Now, as we go on in this story, it's going to get harder for them. And guess what? As we go on in our culture and as we try to honor the Lord and try to honor his word, it's going to get harder for us too. That's why biblical conviction is so important. These issues in our world today, just like in Daniel's time, are life and death. They're serious. They have massive consequences. Now, I kind of teased this a little bit earlier, but I want to talk about the issue of transgenderism and transsexuality. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this today because this is everywhere in our world right now. And I want us to, to understand, um, first of all, where we as believers should stand on the issue and then how we respond as the church and as Christians as well. Because it's not just about understanding what we believe, but it's about our response to the world that we live in, too, and a world that we're trying to reach with the gospel and how to show compassion in this, too. So uh, in 2017, the Assemblies of God put out a position paper on transgenderism, transsexuality, and gender identity. It is incredibly thorough. I would love to just break it down for you line by line because it's really well done and really well written, but we'd be here for a very long time. So what we did, if you go to westpoint.org slash trans, uh, I promise you're not going to go to any uh, weird website or anything like that. It's going to take you right to this position paper, and um, this is going to give you our denomination stance on this particular issue. Uh, they go through the biblical and the scientific reasons for why we believe that God created two genders and two sexes and um, that it's immoral to try to reassign somebody's sex. Um, now, that paper will walk you through that. And like I said, follow that link, check it out, read it on your own time. It also addresses things like gender dysphoria and what is our role as pastors in the church in dealing with those difficult issues. It's really, really good. Another resource that I want to recommend to you, uh, I just read a book, and this is a, a book that my brother recommended to me called Embodied. And it's by uh, this guy named Preston Sprinkle. And I think he does an amazing job of walking through this incredibly difficult and complex issue and um, doing so in a really compassionate way. Um, so if you want some good reading um, and you want to learn a little bit about this particular topic and how to engage with it in our world, I would highly recommend those two resources. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you here. Um, wrestling with how we address this as a church is something that's really hard. It's really challenging, and I want to explain a little bit why it's so hard. Um, first of all, we believe that there are godly and biblical guidelines as it relates to human sexuality and how to honor God and how to submit to his authority. And so we ask that believers in the body of Christ would submit to those guidelines. That includes our position on things like same-sex relationships, um, on premarital sex. Uh, and, and often uh, what's happening in our world today is people have their values and their beliefs and their preconceived notions, and so then they take those beliefs and ideas to Scripture, and they take the Word of God and they twist it to fit the idea of what they want it to say. And so if you believe something 
that is generally contrary to the word of God, but you want to justify it, you can find people that will do all the research for you and twist the word of God in order to make it say what you want it to say. And listen, can I tell you that is the wrong approach to the Bible. We got to open it honestly and read it in the way that it was intended to be read and give an honest evaluation of what it says if we really believe that it is the authoritative word of God and that it is our guideline for life. And so this is a, this is a challenge. And then here's the second part of that challenge. We don't hold unbelievers or even new believers to the same standards that we hold mature believers to, right? It's a process of discipleship and sanctification and growing more like Christ. In fact, it's very rare that somebody goes uh, from being outside of faith in Christ to placing their faith in Christ and all of the sin that they've struggled with just immediately leaves them. Now, there are incredible testimonies of of specific instances where things like this have happened, like maybe somebody had an addiction to drugs or alcohol and they got saved and immediately those things went away. It's a powerful testimony and God absolutely is capable of working that way. But we also know that many times it doesn't work that way. That struggle uh, takes place for years after conversion as well. And so we don't hold someone to the same standards that's outside of faith in Christ as to what we believe as mature Christians. And we have to realize that people who are outside of the faith think differently than we do. And we live in a country where it not only protects our freedom to worship the way that we want to worship and to believe what we want to believe, but it also protects their right to believe what they want to believe as well. This is the world that we live in. And so while we should do our best to encourage the truth, we have to have realistic expectations of somebody whose mind hasn't been sanctified by the word of God. Uh, The third thing is that we as a society have a responsibility to protect our children from harmful practice and from life-altering choices that they aren't mature to make and make on their own. And so this is important too. And so now we have to kind of walk this line in, in like understanding that people are free to make choices that maybe we wouldn't necessarily want them to make, but then also having protection for those who are not at a point in their life yet where they're ready to make those decisions. And we have to find a way to be engaged in our world, in a world that teaches values that we don't agree with, and in a way that um, we don't get sucked into the world's values as well. Now, um, back in March, in Minnesota, the House of Representatives passed a bill that makes Minnesota, that would make Minnesota a trans-refuge state. Um, what this effectively means, and I'm, I'm just doing my best to honestly represent um, what this is, but um, it allows minors to travel to Minnesota from another state, receive things like gender reassignment surgery or hormone therapy or things like that without parental consent, and then those um, medical professionals that administered this treatment would be legally protected uh, from legal repercussions uh, from the parents. Now, this is, this is shocking 
right? Like when, when I learned about that, I was like, this is crazy. Like how is this, this is a thing even. And so right now in our state, the Senate has the bill. Um, if this were to be signed into law, which it would require um, the Senate's approval and the governor's signature, this would easily be the most radical policy in the nation as it relates to transgender health care if signed into law. We're right in the middle of this. Uh, and here in the United States, we have a unique opportunity to participate in the lawmaking process. And so we should be active in this, especially if you live in an area, in a district, where your state senator supports this bill. Um, now, uh, in Delano, uh, you don't. Your state senator is opposed to the bill, but if you live in Orono, you do, right? And so one of the things that we should do and exercise as citizens of this country and believers, we should be writing letters and communicating in a respectful way. We should be communicating what we want to see happen in this country. And we should also be praying. We should be praying for a change of heart for those who are pushing this agenda. We should be praying for conviction for those who have a vote. Now, I can't promise it's going to change their heart. I can't promise what the results are going to be. But we ought to at least make our voice heard for our kids' sake. All right, here, here's number two. Uh, the first one, I know that was a long one, resolve to do what is good but also stay connected to the world around you. Listen, it would have been so much easier for Daniel and his friends if he never would have engaged with the Babylonian leadership. He could have eaten whatever he wanted to. You're going to find out he could pray whenever he wanted to pray. Uh, but Daniel chose to accept this opportunity to step into a leadership role, to enter this realm of the king and his palace. And we as Christians need to be engaged in our world. We need to stay connected to our community and to the people around us. Daniel and his friends had an opportunity, and they seized that opportunity. Now, I'm going to talk a lot more about this in week three. Um, but I don't believe the solution for our culture war that we're in is to buy a bomb shelter and to go off the grid and hide from the rest of the world around us. I know you're laughing, but some of you have thought about it. I've heard the conversations, okay? <laughs> That's not the calling that God has given us as the church. What does Jesus tell us to do? To be salt and light in the world. Not to hide our light in the bomb shelter, okay? Right? To be salt and light in our world. That means we need to be engaged with our culture. Um, one of the areas that this is so critical is our schools. Now, um, my wife has been a substitute teacher uh, over the past couple of years, literally knows almost every student in the elementary school and in junior high. Our schools are such an opportunity for us to have an impact on our kids. And we need godly people in our schools. We need godly teachers. We need godly administrators. We need godly um, volunteers. We need people, godly coaches. We need uh, godly heads of, of clubs and, and different things like that. In fact, uh, it, in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear a testimony from Ben and how God is using him in, in the FCA at, at his school. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Um, we need people to step up and be involved in our schools. Now, I know 
that the public schools are not necessarily the easiest path to raising kids in the faith. I can personally say that for my family, it has been a constant battle of teaching our kids godly values and trying to contradict what those around them are trying to infiltrate their minds with. We've had some really tough conversations in our house, much earlier than I ever wanted to. And some of you are probably in that same boat. But we've decided that for our family to be a light in this community, that's what's best for us in this moment. And at this point, we feel like we're able to raise kids who love Jesus, to raise kids who are learning to live within but not participate in that sinful culture. And I'm not saying that's the case for every family. You need to make that decision on your own. I'm not trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. Um, but what I don't believe that we should do is live in fear of what might happen around every corner. We need to be confident that God is with us. We've also had the conversation that if we ever feel like the environment in our schools gets to the point where we believe that it's harming our children and that, and that it's potentially being a detriment to their faith, we won't hesitate to remove them from that situation because they're not sacrificial children on the altar of evangelism either. Okay, so um, there is a balance there, and you need to decide what environments are safe for your children. You need to pray about that as parents. So it's a balance of not living in fear, and it's a balance of walking that path and, and teaching them and, and helping them in that process too. Here's the third thing. we got to trust God. we got to trust God. Can you imagine being in, in Daniel's shoes right there and saying, this is the diet that everybody else has eaten and, and we're supposed to get bigger and stronger and we're going to eat just vegetables and water. That took some faith, right? I mean, and they, they maybe didn't even have the full understanding of, of diet today, but they knew what God said in his word. And so they said, we're going to be obedient to that. We're going to trust him to protect us. This is after a few weeks, they were fatter than the rest of the boys, Right? Uh, that's amazing. That's God's provision. He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables and eat water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed. And you tell us which one looks better. If we hold to our biblical values and our biblical standards, we will be challenged by the world around us. We will be questioned. We might even be persecuted. But if we trust God, he's able to lead us through that process. He's able to give us the resolution that we need and the confidence that we need. As we walk through that, he's going to provide for us. If we know that God's way is the right way, and I believe that, that his word is true, then when we trust him, we are a living testimony to the world around us. They see your life and they see your obedience to the Lord. It might not even be anything that you say but it might just be your obedience to God's word. Even, even simple little things, living different than the world lives around us. Um, one of the things that, that people say to me all the time is like, oh, like, you never swear. Why don't you ever swear? And then they find out I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry for swearing all the time. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's not like a big thing. It's not like a super spiritual thing, but it's a way that we set ourselves apart. Um, maybe it's another, another area is, is the area of alcohol. Um, listen, drinking isn't a sin, but drunkenness is. And so we need to be responsible as Christians 
with the way that we treat alcohol. And, and um, the world is going to see that. They're going to notice that you don't treat that like the world treats it. Um, there are so many different ways um, that we can demonstrate God's word through obedience in our behavior that the world's going to see and it's going to cause them to ask questions. Why are they different? Here's the fourth one. Treat people with respect and with kindness. I, I love how Daniel talks to the steward of the king. He didn't argue with him. He didn't tell him, you're an idiot. Um, he didn't uh, argue about what's right and, and why everybody should be eating the way that they eat. He said, why don't you give God a shot? Give us 10 days. Right? We'll eat this food. They eat their food. Let's give God a shot. Because we know that your neck is on the line, right? That's what he came to Daniel saying. Listen, if you guys don't look healthy, I'm the one that's going to get in trouble. Daniel says, I understand that. Give us 10 days. Let us prove our God to you. Now, um, you'll see this even more as, as we get through Daniel's life. Um, when we get to his relationship with King Darius and how respectful and how kind he was to people who um, didn't necessarily honor the Lord. Um, he sets a precedent for us as believers. Let's remember that although God sometimes sets people um, immediately free from sin, the journey of, with, of becoming like Christ is a process. And so when we're dealing with people who are in that process, we need to treat them with respect and with kindness. Now, I want to just bring this back to the, the topic of transgenderism for a second here. It's a really difficult issue uh, for Christians as it uh, relates to talking about transgendered individuals because their disagreement with the Christian belief is worn for everyone to see. And so when you see that, there's something inside of you as a Christian that wants to push back against that, right? Because you know what God's word said and you know what's right. Uh, now, I mentioned, I listened to River Valley's um, message on this and Pastor Rob shared a story when he first started uh, River Valley Church and he said um, after one day, some people from after the service came up to him and they said, hey, there's, there's people that are out front smoking in front of the church. Like, what should we do about that? He said, bring him an ashtray, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I love that response. Uh, I believe that this is how we as the body of Christ should be handling individuals who are at odds with what we believe. We should give them space to encounter the love of Christ before trying to fix their sinful behavior. Um, and, and this is true for more than just people who are transgendered. Um, it's just sometimes their sin is more apparent than other people's sin and other people's baggage. Um, this is the same way that we treat unmarried people who are living together. We don't say this is right, right? We don't tell them that's okay, um, but we give them space to encounter the love of Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the work there. Maybe you're in that situation right now. And um, we want you to know that, that even though we don't think what you're doing is right and what according to Scripture, 
and we want you to grow, and we want you to change, and we want the Holy Spirit to allow you to work in your life. We also want you to know that you're loved when you're here. Same thing with people who are um, in homosexual relationships. Right? Sometimes that process of the Holy Spirit doing the work in a heart, it takes time uh, to work through that. And, and what we're ultimately trying to do is we're trying to disentangle our behavior from our identity. And we as people in general wrestle with this. Like, I am what I do. That's something that we all think. Sometimes we tie our identity to our career. Sometimes we tie our identity to our hobbies, to things that we enjoy, to people that we spend time with, and that becomes who we are. But when we're called into the kingdom of God, we're called out of that to find our identity in being a child of God and in in separating ourselves from those other things. So those things might still be a part of our life. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them need to go. But that process takes time. And so ultimately, um, we're asking the same thing for somebody who's in disobedience to the word of God and comes and finds Christ in this church community, we have to understand that the discipleship process happens over time and that they grow in their faith and as they learn from the word and as they understand what it means to follow Christ, they start to disentangle themselves from that behavior. Um, Here's the second thing. uh, Just be gently honest with what it means to follow Jesus. Um, If somebody asks you what you think about a particular issue, whether it's transgenderism or homosexuality or premarital sex or could be any particularly sinful issue, you don't have to lie to them about it, right? It's not compassionate to tell them something that's not true from the word of God, but we do so in a gentle way. We do so in a kind way, and we do so at the appropriate time. Uh, In the book Embodied, which I referenced earlier, there's a story of a young woman who had transitioned to male and then came to Christ. She came to faith in Christ and she asked somebody at her church, what what does God say about sex and gender? And this person who could have answered that question in that moment said, "Let's, let's look together. I love that response, right? Instead of saying, here's the answers and throwing them at people and telling them, this is what you should think, let's open the word of God together and let's see what it has to say about these things. And she walked her through that process. It gave her an opportunity to show her the truth without seeming judgmental or harsh. Um, one more thing. Don't try to win the argument. The, now, this one is tough for me because I like to win the argument. Um, but can I tell you something? Almost no one has been argued into the kingdom of God. I don't want to say no one because maybe there's somebody there, but, but I just, I, I've never heard a testimony of someone say, well, somebody was debating me and, and they made me feel stupid. And so then I was like, oh, I better just become a Christian, right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, scripture tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, So if God, who is the author of all truth and all wisdom, draws us into repentance through kindness, maybe we should take a cue there. Just just a thought. You can do with that what you want, okay? Um, It's not about winning the argument. 
Because you can win the argument and lose the person. Right? Anybody ever been in that boat before? You don't need to raise your hand. Right? But like we get ourselves in arguments and we're so bound and determined to be right. And I am absolutely 100% guilty of this. Right? 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23 says this, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul isn't saying, I ditched my convictions and my standards, and I laid them all aside in order to reach people for Christ. He's saying, I'll go to extraordinary lengths to make someone feel comfortable so they can encounter the love of Jesus Christ. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about this morning, and I know this is not like your typical end to a sermon, but I want us to talk through this as a church. Because on a practical level, we have to talk about how we're going to address some of these issues. In fact, there's a chapter in the book uh, Embodied that I referenced called Pronouns, Bathrooms, and Sleeping Arrangements, right? These are all the, and when we ever have these conversations, and maybe you've had conversations, this is ultimately what it comes down to a lot of times, because these are practical um, applications. And so this is important for us as a church, uh, and I want us to understand so that we're on the same page of how we're going to um, deal with these things going forward. Um, currently, I'm unaware of anyone that is transgendered that attends our church, um, but that doesn't mean that it never will happen, okay? So we need to be prepared for how to deal with this and how to walk through this. Uh, pronouns. Guys, I struggle with this one, okay? Uh, when I see an email signature with people's preferred pronouns on it, I fight the urge to roll my eyes. I'm not going to lie. Um, yes, I know your pronouns are he, him, your name is Richard, okay? <laughs> and the gender-neutral pronouns, as a grammar person... Oh, man, like replacing singular pronouns with, with gender-neutral plural pronouns, I, that just, like, that melts my mind, okay? <laughs> I, I don't even get me made up or started on the made-up pronouns, okay? That is, a, that is a completely different thing. But my own biases aside, if, for me... If using a different pronoun helps me show love and compassion to someone apart from Christ, I'm probably going to do it. Now, I will leave you with this caveat. If that seems dishonest to you, then you shouldn't do it, okay? And I completely understand that. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is instead use their name rather than a pronoun that they would consider offensive, right? Um, we don't need to... Um, you need to be honest with your convictions, and you need to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, but we don't need to go out of our way to be offensive either. 
Okay, and so you can use somebody's name and that humanizes them rather than insults them. And, and so let's be generous. Let's be kind. Let's be compassionate. Um, so pronouns. They're pronouns. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, bathrooms. Uh, okay, in this church, you have two options. You can use the bathroom of your biological sex that you were born with, or you can use the single stall bathroom down the hall. It's great that we have that option, right? Um, uh, now, I, like, this is like one of the big fears that, that people have, that transgender people are going to come in our bathrooms, and it's going to make us really... Inc- in reality, the vast majority of transgendered people are incredibly uncomfortable with the bathroom situation, and they, they don't know what to do, and they're, they're just... They're, in fact, one person in the book that I read, she was like, yeah, I, I, I go to church, and I just make sure that I don't drink any coffee or any liquids that day so that using the bathroom is just something I don't have to think about. I mean, let's not let a bathroom be the, be the barrier for someone to find Christ. Now, we, we need to have standards, and we need to have practices, and it's great that we have that option, um, but that's, that's how we're going to approach it. And then if you're going to invite someone to church that's going through this, let them know in advance, hey, there's a single stall bathroom at the end of the hallway that you can use so that you can feel comfortable being here. Um, now, there are so many different things and so many different ways that we could talk about this particular issue. Listen, it's a hard one, right? And we're walking through this together and we're learning and growing together Um, But I want us to be a church that shows love to people who are far from Christ. Not that leaves them in the state that they were in when they walked in the door, right? That's discipleship. But that shows them love where they're at before the moment where they find Christ. And if we can do that, and if we can honestly show love to people in that way, I think we will be so much better as a church. Now you juxtapose that with having conviction and having compassion. These two things aren't mutually exclusive. And I know, because I'm this way, that we tend to lean one direction or the other. But in reality, Scripture calls us to both truth and love. And if those things can exist in the word of God together, then they can exist in our hearts together. You with me? Appreciate that. All right. I'm going to just close in prayer because there's just no good way to land this plane, okay? Um, but let's just humble our hearts right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help us as we engage with the world that is opposed to what we believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have placed us in this community as a lighthouse to the city of Delano and to the surrounding community. Lord, you've called us to let our light shine before men, that they would see our good works and glorify you. And so that's our heart, that's our desire, that we would constantly point people to you, that we would be a place that would embrace the broken and the hurting but that we would also be a place that has deep conviction for the word of God and for truth. So Lord, help us to balance and weigh those two realities, Lord, in a way that's healthy, 
and in a way that we can engage our world to point them to Christ so that you can do the transformative work that you need to do in their lives. Lord, we pray for our state right now as we're in this battle, as we're facing a reality of, of, a, of a governmental system that's at odds with what we believe is the word of God. Lord, we pray for conviction in the hearts of those who are voting. And Lord, we pray um, that you would uh, move miraculously, God, in our state. Lord, I, I pray that, that this state would be a refuge, not a refuge for um, immoral behavior, but a refuge where people can find hope in Christ. Lord, we pray uh, for grace as we walk through this together. Lord, help us to, um, to encourage one another, to push each other towards righteousness, to sharpen one another in truth, and to uh, embrace one another with love. Lord, we give you this day, we give you this, this church. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.